Uh, we're continuing on this just two Sunday series on four prayers that Jesus likes, and the next Sunday we'll talk about three basic prayers that you can pray, and uh, they're good. It's good stuff, man. Uh, but let's pray real quick. Speaking of prayer, let's pray. Lord, we just ask right now, Lord Jesus, that your word uh, would mean something to us, that it would change something in us, Lord, that it would cause us to do things that we don't do normally, Lord, good things, and uh, cause us to stop maybe doing some things that we should stop doing. Lord, let your word have that impact in our lives, and I thank you, Jesus, for it. In your name I ask these things, amen. So four prayers that Jesus likes. Last Sunday, we talked about today prayers. I'm not going to rehash it. And we talked about May prayers. Uh, it's really neat. Um, we, we record these sermons and put them on SoundCloud. And now Daniel uh, has got them updated on our website so that you can always go back and listen to them if you like. There's the notes, these very notes, uh, typos and everything are out there on the website. So you can grab them if you want them. Um, so... If you need to listen to last sermon, you, last Sunday sermon, you can. This, this, this today, we're going to talk about pole vaulting prayers and in prayers. These are all things that I'm have experimented with, uh, studied. When you say experimented, it means Steve, are you making this stuff up? No, I look in the Bible, I see it, and I try it out. That's what I mean. And it, man, it works. It's powerful. But let's let's look at pole vaulting prayers. You know what a pole vaulter is? You ever seen these guys in the Olympics or in, in uh, just you know high school track meets? They'll have a long pole, and they'll. It's funny to watch them concentrate. They'll kind of go rock back and forth, rock back, and you're like, "What is this guy doing?" Well, he's concentrating. Or this gal's concentrating, and then they run and they lock the pole in the ground, and it pole vaults them over, hopefully, <laughs> the bar that they're trying to get across, and so. We're talking about your prayers doing that same thing, pole vaulting over something. You don't have to be, you don't have to have any more limitations whenever you pray. All right, so we pray to God past man or over man. All right, we pray to God, and limitations of man are just totally set aside because we're pole vaulting over those limitations. That's what I mean by pole vaulting prayers. We don't pray about the person, and many of this is taking the example of you praying for someone else, but you could be praying for yourself as well. But when you're praying for that person, what comes to mind immediately? Oh, what if they don't? <laughs> what if they don't listen? What if they don't change? What if they don't accept it? What if they, 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 all right? We're not praying about the person or to the person, obviously. We're praying to God for that person. All right, so let's set the person aside and all the reasons why not, and let's start praying to God about why he can and will do that thing that we're praying for. It's very faith-inspiring. So here's some bad prayers, okay? And I know we have some Johns in the church. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about just a vague, ambiguous John Doe, okay? Here's some bad prayers for John Doe. Lord, help John Doe change. Have you ever prayed that prayer before? <laughs> Help them change. How much faith do you have when you start praying, God help them to change? 
I don't know about you, when I pray that way, I have very itty-bitty little faith, maybe no faith at all, because I'm thinking about how John Doe needs to change, and how he probably isn't going to change, and it's going to take an act of God, which probably isn't going to happen for John to change. So that's a bad prayer. Lord, help John Doe to get healed. It's another one that I've prayed. Bad prayer. Don't pray that way, all right? Not a good prayer. I'm going to give you an alternative to that prayer. Lord, notice that I keep using the word help, all right? Help John Doe to not get a divorce. Lord, help him not to get a divorce. Eh, not a good prayer. (laughs) All right, I'm going to give you a better way to pray. Lord, help John Doe to get a job. Eh, still pretty weak. All right, I'm focused on John more than I am on God whenever I pray these prayers. So all of these prayers are asking John to do something or to get something done or to get something. All right? These are not in faith-inspiring prayers at all. These are not faith-inspiring prayers at all. We're constantly mentioning the word help to God, but these aren't faithful prayers per se. They're more about the person, what the person can or can't do. Our faith is not in people. Our faith is in God. And Isaiah 2.22 really changed the way that I saw things and I'm seeing things. It says, stop trusting in man who has but breath in his nostrils. Of what account is he? So when we pray, we need to stop thinking about that person and start thinking about what God can do in that person, pole vaulting over that person to get things done. In Mark 11.22, it says, have faith in God. Start putting your faith in God. Don't put your faith in man. So we pray to God above that person. We pray to God over that person. We pray to God around that person. That person is, has no bearing in what God can do in their lives. See what I mean? We're pole vaulting past the person's limitations. What are some of people's limitations? Well, you might be praying for your son, your daughter, or your grandkids, someone that you love, and you focus on their unwillingness. But they've never been willing. So what's going to change now than what it will be in the future? Well, God's going to change them. That's what it is. Are prayers not our desire for God to overcome someone's willfulness? Is it not? Is not our prayer a prayer to overcome someone's addiction? That's our prayers. It's to overcome that person. So that person's limitations has no bearing whatsoever in our prayer to Almighty God because God overcame my willfulness. He overcame my tendencies. He overcame my desires that didn't have anything to do with God. God overcame me, and so my prayers is that God will overcome them as well. See, it's a totally different way of praying. It's a faithful way of praying. I pray that God overcomes their weakness, their spiritual deafness, their spiritual blindness, their stubbornness, their hardness, their ignorance. God can't be stopped by all of these things. If he could, where would I be? Where would you be, right? God overcame us. He can overcome the masses as well. He can certainly overcome those that you love, that you care about enough to pray for. Is there anything about the person that weakens our faith? If it is, then we're thinking too much about that person. And we want way more for God than just to help them to do or not to do. God, make them do it. (laughs) 
Use your sovereignty, O Lord, to get in there and get them off drugs in the name of Jesus. Lord, get your sovereignty in there. Let's say you're dealing with somebody at work that's hard to deal with. Lord, come and overcome their irritableness, whatever it is that they're doing to me at work. Overcome it in the name of Jesus. I don't want you to just help them. I want you to overcome them. All right? It's powerful prayers that we can be praying. Pole vaulting prayers. When we pray for people, we're not uh, just praying that God overcomes their will and their desires, their inclinations. We want them to become a different person and just like God has called us to be different people. All right? So listen to this. Just a couple of thoughts. Pole vaulting prayers ignore human limitations. Completely ignore human limitations doesn't even come up on the radar. Let me give you a scriptural example. In, in Matthew 14, 19, Jesus takes five loaves and two fishes, and what does he do? He looks up to heaven. <laughs> he looks up to heaven. He doesn't keep looking at his limitations. He doesn't look at the 5,000 people plus, men and, plus women and children. He pole vaults and looks straight up to his heavenly Father. That's what we need to do. All right? So he, he looks up to heaven, and what does he do? He gives thanks. What does he give thanks for? Well, he gives thanks. At least we have the five loaves and two fishes, but he gives thanks for what he doesn't have. He gives thanks for what he doesn't have. Why? Because God has everything. We're looking up to him. He can do anything. He has all the resources. I'm not going to be looking here on earth. I'm looking up to heaven. All right? So he gives thanks, and then what does he do? He breaks the loaves. You know what he does? He breaks the limitation. Here, this is my limitation. I'm going to break my limitation. I'm going to do more than what I have. You know what our predestined potential is? Our predestined potential is how much God can give and how much I can receive. That's on my predestined potential. It's not how much I have or don't have. It's how much God has but also how much I can receive from God. So he breaks the loaves. He gives them to his disciples. They give them out to the people. They ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets fulls. Let me tell you what, pole vaulting prayers. Uh, let me read this. Ex, ex, grab my paper here. Pole vaulting prayers. Ignore human limitations ignore human limitation. Let me tell you what else, what else these prayers do. They obliterate, obliterate imminent danger and threats. You got danger whispering into your ear, oh, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, you're going to lose all your money, you're going to lose your health, you're going to lose your kids, you're going to lose your family, you're going to lose your job. That's the imminent danger. Pole vaulting prayers obliterates those threats of danger. Obliterates. There's cancels them out. Let me give you a scriptural example in 2 Kings 19 verses 14 through about verse 19. So 2 Kings 19, 14 through 19, there was this king named Hezekiah, a godly king, and he receives a, a letter that says these foreign armies are coming against him. 
a message of danger. Bad things are about to happen. Do you ever wake up in the morning and just think, you know what, something bad's probably going to happen today. You know, that things are probably not going to work out for me. All right, that's a whisper of danger. So he gets this message in writing about these armies coming to invade his country, far bigger than his army. And he goes immediately to the temple of the Lord. He spreads it out before the Lord, and Hezekiah prays to the Lord. All right, it's time to ignore the threats of danger and start looking to the Lord. He prays to the Lord. He goes straight to God beyond the danger. He goes, he pole vaults over the danger. He says, Lord God of Israel, enthroned between cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the Lord. See, he's looking up. He's looking over. He's looking beyond. He says, you made the heavens of the earth. Give ear, Lord, hear, open your eyes, Lord, and see, listen to the words of Sennacherib. This is was invading general that was coming. This guy that is sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, God, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their countries and overthrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they, um, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. And you'd have to read the story to, to understand all of this. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand. And you know what happens beyond that? God totally, he sends that army back that Sennacherib guy gets killed in his own country and the threat of, of danger is completely obliterated. Why? Because Hezekiah prayed a pole vaulting prayer. He went straight up instead of straight at. That's what we do. When danger comes at us, a lot of times we build our defenses or we attack, we counterattack, and God says, look up. Here's the third thing pole vaulting prayers do. They look past sickness or injury. They look past the pain that you're going through right now. These what that's what these prayers do. Let me give you a, a, another example from the Bible. Second Kings 20 uh, verse 1. And again, it's about the same king. You should read about this King Hezekiah. He's, he is something else. Not a perfect guy, but pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. A godly guy. He said in those days, at this time Hezekiah is old, he becomes ill. Hezekiah becomes ill and was at the point of death. At the point of death. Have you ever been with someone at the point of death? You know what that feels like? You know what that looks like? That's where Hezekiah is. He realizes he's about to die. And so... The prophet Isaiah uh, comes to him and he prophesies to the king and he says, the Lord says this, put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Can you imagine getting those words? Uh, for me, I would say, okay, <laughs> let's go on. But Hezekiah doesn't have that reaction. And I wouldn't have that reaction right now. I want to live a couple more years, um, especially for my kids. All right, uh, but he, he, he turns, Hezekiah turns his face to the wall. He's probably in his palace in his, his stately room there, and he prays to the Lord. Do you hear that? He goes past his sickness, past even the word of God spoken to him, and he prays to the Lord. He says, remember, Lord, how I've walked before you faithfully with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept 
bitterly. He went straight to God. Well, Isaiah is walking out of the palace after he's delivered that word. It says he's in the middle of the court when the word of the Lord comes back to this prophet Isaiah. He says, go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord your God, the God of your father David says, I have heard your prayers. And I've seen your tears. I will heal you. And on the third day from now, you will go to the temple of the Lord your God. I will add 15 years to your life. All because of pole vaulting prayer. You're not limited by sickness. You're not limited by by injury. You're not limited by divorce. You're not limited by anything. You go to your God in heaven and you go past the circumstances. Does that make sense? We've got power because we have a connection to God. But here's the last one. I love this one. This is probably my favorite one. Pole vaulting prayers look down on someone's stubbornness, pride, and rebellion. All right? When you get up, I can't imagine pole vaulting. You're up that high. You're looking down on that pole that you're about to go over. All right? When people are prideful, when people are stubborn, oftentimes we feel like we're inferior to them or we're kind of looking up to them. But when you're pole vaulting your prayers, you're up above their pride. You're up above their stubbornness. You're up above their arrogance. And you can pray accordingly. And I love this example. I'm not going to read it all. But the, um, there's this guy named Saul, Saul of Damascus. Very arrogant very prideful, extremely stubborn, more so, so much so that he was coming to Damascus from Jerusalem with letters to put Christian men and women and even children in prison. He'd, uh, he was, he was, the Bible says he was, um, uh, I can't remember the word, but whispering murderous threats against them. And he was coming with an agenda to persecute the Christians in that town. And so as he was coming, he had this vision from heaven. It blinded him, and he was told to go into Damascus until he was told to do something further. And so it was here where Paul is laying there for three days, not eating, not drinking. He's blinded, and there's this other man in Damascus whose name is Ananias. And so Ananias is praying, and the Lord calls to Ananias in a vision and says his name, Ananias. Ananias responds, yes, Lord. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarshish named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Ananias says, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man. He was coming to kill us. He's coming to imprison us and to harm us and all the things that he's done to your holy people in in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all of us who call on your name. The Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went out to the house and entered in, placed his hands on Saul. So here's pride, here's arrogance, laying in a bed, blind. And here comes a pole vaulting prayer, looking down on Saul who's laying there. He places his hand on him. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road uh, as you were coming here has sent me that you may see again. All right? 
did you know that pride blinds people? It blinds. Now, Paul, or Saul here, was physically blind, but he was also spiritually blind. And as, at the time when his eyes were open, the, the eyes of his soul were open as well. And that pole vaulting prayer overcame his pride, his arrogance, and his obsession of, of, of knocking out uh, the, the Christian message, the message of Christ. So you see that these prayers are powerful. He says, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again, not only physically, but spiritually got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And from there, he began to preach that Jesus was the Messiah. Absolutely unbelievable. So I encourage you. Don't, don't, pray, don't pray prayers about helping somebody to do this or that. Say, God, overcome whatever it is. I'm praying straight to you over them for you to accomplish your will in their lives. Let's go on to the, the fourth and final one here, and I call them in prayers. I in prayers, okay? And I'd like you if, you, if you have a Bible, if you have a phone, to look up Ephesians 1, 3. And I want you to see this with me as I read it, okay? Because it's something that I, I, I know I overlooked for years, uh, but it's made a huge difference in my life, this understanding here in Ephesians 1, verse 3. And I'll start reading. It says, praise be, this is the Apostle Paul, this very guy who, who was just healed from from his blindness, okay, he wrote a good portion of the New Testament. He writes this, this book to the Ephesians, all right, the Ephesian church in Ephesus. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with spiritual blessings in Christ. Okay, say, so, all right, Steve, that's one. All right, in Christ. We're talking about in prayers. But he says, in Christ. Verse 4. For he has chosen us in him. There it is again. That's interesting. In Christ, before the cre- in, in God, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he has predestined us to be adopted uh, for adoption to sonship through Christ. There it is. In Christ, through Christ. In accordance with the pleasure of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he has loved. Wow, this is four or five times. It continues to say, in Christ. Verse 7, in him, there it is again, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace which he has lavished on us. With all wisdom and understandings, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he has purposed in Christ. There it is again. And by, I'm, you know, I'm scrambling through this. There's so many good things. I encourage you to read this slowly and, and absorb it. But I'm looking for the in Christ statements here. Verse 10, to be put into effect when the times had reached their fulfillment, to bring into unity all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out all things in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we we're the first to put our hope in, in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now look at this first verse 13. You might be saying, I want to be in Christ then. There sounds like there's a lot of good things in Christ, like blessings and, and uh, benefits and, and advantages to being in Christ. Verse 13 and verse 14 tells us how you and me, we can be in Christ. 
Listen to this. And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. You were included, you were brought, and I like to look at it visually. I don't think this should be some ambiguous thing. Christ isn't over here, and I'm over here. I'm not in Christ. Christ is over there. I walk over here. I get in Christ. I'm in Christ. I mean, I think we need to take these things literally, visually, so that they make sense. I want to be in Christ. Don't you? Well, it says how to do it. I hear, says, I was included in Christ when I heard the message of truth. Have you been hearing the message of truth lately? Because you who are in Christ can get out of Christ as well. Have you been listening to the message of truth that God is telling you? That's number one. The gospel of your salvation. Here it is. And you were included in Christ when you believed that message. You heard the message of truth and you liked it, and you said, I want that. I believe that for me, the message of truth. So I was included when I heard it, when I believed, and then I was marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a he. He's part of the triune Godhead, (laughs) the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is that part of God that's with me everywhere I go, and better still is in me. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, did you notice in one of these songs, it said Holy Ghost? Did you notice that? The Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit is a name for one and the same. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost is in me, he's marked me, and that means I'm in Christ. If I have the Holy Spirit in me, I'm in Christ. I'm included. I'm inside of Christ, all right, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, that's the Holy Spirit, until the redemption of those, and here's the fourth one, who are God's possession. How can I know I'm in Christ? If I hear the message of truth, I believe the message of truth, I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me, and lastly, I belong to God. I no longer belong to myself. I no longer belong to this world. I don't belong to anything. I belong to God. If those four things are in place, I'm in Christ. Hallelujah. And all of these things in Ephesians that I challenge you to read, it's in our our weekly reading, read them carefully and see what benefits and advantages you have for being in Christ. All right, well, we're talking about in prayers. We're going to get to that in just a second. But look at this. This is something I learned from my wife, and it's something that she's taught our kids in Kids Church, and I love this. It's in John 14, 20. It says, on that day, this is Jesus speaking, on that day you will realize, and I I worry because I haven't realized this, and I bet some of us haven't realized this either, realize that I am in the Father. So I want you to picture, you know those little uh, Russian uh, little dolls that open up and there's a smaller one inside and then you open up that and there's another one inside and then another one inside of that. Pretend like there's four of those, okay? Christ is the third one, is in God. So God is, is the first thing that you see. You open it up, there's Christ. You open up that one and it says here, you are in me. Oh, cool, all right? Christ is in God. 
I'm in Christ. I'm the third little doll, if you will. It's kind of a funny analogy, right? It says, then I am in you. You open me up, and guess what? You find the Holy Spirit inside of me. Isn't that wonderful? That means I'm sandwiched between God. He's inside of me, and I'm inside of Christ. I can't get away from God. I'm sandwiched in between God. I love this scripture, John 14, 20. When Tina shared that with me, I was like, that is awesome. I can picture that. I can feel it. I can get excited about that. And it brings about, in John 14, 20, the realization of that truth. The realization. So many things are true for me, but if I don't realize them, what a pity. What a shame, you know? So remember that, John 14, 7, again, we're at 14, 20, all right? We're talking about in prayers. Hang with me. I'm going to give you one more illustration, and then we'll talk about what praying in Christ means. All right? Genesis 7-1, I love this. Another picture of what this looks like. God tells Noah, you know the story of Noah and the ark, hopefully. If not, read about it in Genesis. Start in, in chapter 6, and then look at verse in chapter 7. But the Lord tells Noah to build an ark. Do you know what an ark is? It's a, it's a boat, huge boat. And he was to fill the boat with pairs of every species of animal that there was, all right? So uh, I won't go into that whole story. But look at this. God tells Noah, go into the ark. And this is, this is a, a picture of Jesus, all right? That ark was to be the salvation for Noah, if Noah didn't go into that ark, he was not going to be saved from anything. He was gonna he was gonna reap destruction, the anger of God. Do you know what God? I learned this. Well, this guy came and spoke at our church, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, "You know what God is really saving you from? He's saving you from His own wrath. Is what God's saving you from? We sinned, and the wrath of God was uh, fired up." All right? And Jesus came to save us from his father's wrath because we, every man has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus came to save us from that wrath. And just as God's wrath was going to be poured out on the earth because of all the evil that was going on, he said, Noah, let's build an ark because I want to save you from my wrath. All right? And so he says, Noah, go into the ark. <laughs> Go into your salvation. And just the same way God is telling us, go into Jesus. He's your salvation. Go into him. Hear the message of truth. Believe it. Be marked by the Holy Spirit. All right? Become my possession. Go into Jesus. So he goes into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every clean animal. Lolly, you know, I won't read every verse here. Verse 4, it says, um, Seven days from now I will send rain upon the earth for 40 days, 40 nights. I will wipe the face of the earth from every living creature I have made. All right? Someday that's going to happen to this earth, not through flood, but through fire, the Bible says. Fire. And I want to be found in Jesus, and I want you to be found in Jesus when that happens. This is imminent. This is going to happen. All right? So Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. He was 600 years old when the flood waters came, came on the earth. Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered 
the ark to escape the destruction, the flooding that was going to happen. Amazing picture. I, I ask you, I beg you, get into Christ. Walk into him. Get under his protection as Noah did into this ark. And so here uh, in verse 10, after seven days, the flood waters came onto the earth. The 600th year of Noah's life, let's see, rain fell in verse 12 for 40 days and 40 nights. The very day Noah's, uh, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth together and their wives, they went into the ark. Let's go on down here in verse 16. At the end of verse 16, it says, Then the Lord shut him in. (laughs) I love this. You get into Christ, don't you dare think for a second that you can just willy-nilly step away from Christ. Let me tell you what, God's, this is kind of ugly, but God's got his hook in you. (laughs) If you are God's own possession, don't you think just by thinking one, some little thought that you're, you've lost your salvation. Give me a break. You know how hard it is to lose your salvation? Incredible. God is described as the hound of heaven. <laughs> he will come after you. He will make your life miserable if he needs to in order to get you to turn back. And Look at the, the, the hundredth sheep that got lost. Did Jesus say, oh, well, I guess he walked away. He went after that sheep and he brought that sheep back. Now, am I saying that you can walk away from Jesus? Yes, unfortunately you can. The Bible talks about falling from grace. So it can be done. But let me tell you what, it takes a lot to fall from grace. It takes a lot. God's got you in the palm of his hands. And like Noah, he shuts you in to Jesus. Once you walk in, the door is shut and you are safe. Praise God that that gets me excited. So one little, what would seem insignificant step of walking into Jesus, the door shuts behind you and you are safe the rest of your life. Remain in Christ as he remains in you. Verse 17 says the flood of 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth as the waters, listen to this picture, this is beautiful. As the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. As your problems grow and the destruction around you grows, you just float on top of it. You're in Christ. You're safe. You're floating above all the threats and the danger and the problems. And God's got you covered. You are safe. The, rose, the waters rose and increased greatly on the earth. The ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly above the earth. All, above all the mountains under the entire heavens were covered. And I want to pause there, just think about that. What do we trust in in our lives? We all trust in something. Trust in your job. Trust in maybe your ingenuity, your intelligence, maybe your own righteousness. I don't know what you trust in. But you know what? That's like a mountain. And someday that's going to get covered. And it's not going to mean nothing to you. That's bad English. It's not going to mean anything to you. All that you trust in is not going to be trust, not be able to be trusted someday. You better get into Christ. That is, is solid. He's solid. You won't be let down. You won't be disappointed. You won't be put to shame because you are in Christ. So those mountains that you trust in someday will be covered and won't, won't amount to anything for, for you. All right. Verse 23, every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. 
And then finally, at the end of verse 23, only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. Let me tell you what, we've got to get into Christ. One last scripture here before we talk about praying, the, the aspect of prayer that we're trying to get to here. I love this in Psalms 91. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest. <laughs> get into Christ and you will have the most restful, wonderful, peaceful, joyful life you could ever ask for. Get into Christ and you will rest in the shadow of the, of, the, of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. Would Noah have said that of, of that ark? That's my refuge. That's my fortress. My God in whom I trust. Did Noah trust the ark? Yes, he trusted the ark because he was in the ark. <laughs> and you're going to see where I'm going for this in just a second. If he was out there Swimming and looking at the ark, he wouldn't have been able to trust in the ark because he wasn't in it. The only way to trust God is if you get into Christ. So if you're like me, who's constantly trying to convince himself, I'm trusting in God, I'm trusting in God, I'm, trust I'm not trusting in God unless I'm in God. <laughs> and I need to remain in Christ as, as uh, Noah remained in the ark, and there I can trust, there I can rest. And you need to do some soul searching. Do some soul searching. Are you living in Christ? Because if you're living there, you will naturally trust him because you'll see, hey, I'm floating on all my problems now. I used to be, you know, I, get, I used to get pushed down by my problems. Now I'm floating on top of my problems because I'm trusting in my God. Now here's where we're going. In prayers. You have to know all of that for this, for this to make sense. It says in Romans 8.34, Who then is the one who condemns. No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of, the God, of, of God and is interceding for us. Jesus himself, the one that we're in, is interceding. What does interceding mean? He's praying for you. Jesus himself is praying for you. All right? Now, here's the point that I want to make. If I'm in Christ, and he's praying for me, or let's say Christ is praying for Miwa. Let's say one morning I wake up, and I think, you know what? I need to pray for Miwa. Has anybody done that before? You wake up, and you, I need to be praying for so-and-so. Guess what? Right then and there, you're in Christ. He's praying for me when he's saying, join with me, and let's pray for Miwa together. It's an in prayer. I'm in Christ, he's praying, and he's asking me to pray. We're praying together for that person. That is one of the most powerful prayers and effective prayers you can ever imagine. And so when you're praying, you're not over here and God's 10,000 miles over there. No, you're in Christ and you're praying with Jesus for the very same things. Very same things. And what he does is it amplifies Christ's prayers for that person when you pray with him. We're not praying to God for someone. No, I'm praying with God for the very same thing that he wants. Does that make sense? Get into Christ and realize as you're praying, you're praying with Jesus. You're praying with Jesus for the very same thing. You're not pulling, as we talked about, we're not pulling God along. We're praying with God. So I'm found in Christ praying with Jesus 
for the very same things. Let's put it all together. Romans 15, 13. I don't know. This verse keeps surfacing over and over and over again for me. I've mentioned it, I think, even several times already. But Romans 15, 13 has basically all four components together. One of them might be a tad bit of a stretch, but hear me out. Romans 15, 13. We're talking about the May prayer, the today prayer, the pole vaulting prayer, and the end prayer, all in one verse right here in Romans 15, 13. It starts out, May the God. <laughs> so he's, he's praying right here, and it starts with a May prayer. May the God of hope fill you. Well, that right there, the second piece, fill you, is a pole vaulting prayer. He's saying, I don't care if you receive it. I don't care if you want it. May he fill you. <laughs> All right? He's, he's pushing the envelope. He's praying over the person. He says, fill this person. Fill him with what? With all joy and peace as you trust in him. There's the end prayer. All right? You can't trust something unless you're in it or on it. All right? That's the trusting. The, the end prayer is there's the third thing. It goes on so that you may overflow. There's that may prayer that I was telling you about. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I add in parentheses at the end of that verse, today. <laughs> Don't you think? I mean, God's, God, whatever he wants for you, he wants it for you today. You don't have to wait around. So let me read this verse to you again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him that you may overflow with a hope, uh, with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit today. Amen? Does that make sense? All right. Have you been practicing this? We've been practicing. Please don't come to church and, and not practice what we talk about. That would be a travesty. That would be awful, all right? That means you're coming and just sitting here, and then you're going to come back next Sunday and sit here again, and that's not going to do you any good. I tell you, you come to church to receive. The Bible says, don't just be a hearer of the word. Be a doer of the word. Go do it. Go put it into practice. Experiment. Try it out. Let's pray. Lord.